Hello and welcome to Shiro. Today I will be reading the conclusion of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Chapter 10, The Lobster Quadrille. The mock turtle sighed deeply and drew back the one flapper across his eyes. He looked at Alice and tried to speak, but for a minute or two, sobs choked his voice. Same as if he had a bone in his throat, said the griffin, and it set to work shaking him and punching him in the back. At last, the mock turtle recovered his voice, and with tears running down his cheeks, he went on again. You may not have lived much under the sea. I haven't, said Alice, and perhaps you were never even introduced to a lobster. Alice began to say, I once tasted, but checked herself hastily and said, no, never. So you can have no idea what a delightful thing a lobster quadrille is. No, indeed, said Alice. What sort of dance is it? Why, said the griffin, you first form into a line along the seashore. Two lines, cried the mock turtle. Seals, turtles, salmons, and so on. Then, when you've cleaned all the jellyfish out of the way, that generally takes some time, interrupted the griffin. You advance twice, each with the lobster as a partner, cried the griffin. Of course, the mock turtle said, advance twice, set to partners. Change lobsters and retire in the same order, continued the griffin. Then you know, said the mock turtle went on, you throw the, the lobster, shouted the griffin with a bound into the air, as far out into the sea as you can. Swim after them, screamed the griffin. Turn a somersault in the sea, cried the mock turtle, capering wildly about. Change lobsters again, cried the griffin at the top of his voice. Back to land again. That's all the first figure, said the mock turtle, suddenly dropping his voice. And the two creatures who had been jumping about like mad things all this time sat down again very sadly and quietly and looked at Alice. It must be a very pretty dance, said Alice timidly. Would you like to see a little of it, said the mock turtle. Very much indeed, said Alice. Come, let's try the first figure, said the mock turtle to the griffin. We can do it without the lobsters, you know. Which shall sing? Oh, you sing, said the griffin. I've forgotten the words. So they began solemnly dancing around Alice, every now and then treading on her toes when they passed too close and waving their forepaws to mark the time while the mock turtle sang this very slowly and sadly. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. There's a porpoise close behind us and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance. They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Thank you. It's a very interesting dance to watch, said Alice, feeling very glad that it was over at last. And I do like the curious song about the whiting. Oh, as to the whiting, said the mock turtle. They, you've seen them, of course. Yes, said Alice. I've also seen them at dinner. She checked herself hastily. I know where didn't maybe, said the mock turtle, but if you've seen them so often, of course you can't know what they're like. You can know what they're like. I believe so, Alice replied thoughtfully. They have their tails in their mouths and they're all over crumbs. You're wrong about the crumbs, said mock turtle. Crumbs would all wash off in the sea, but they have their tails in their mouths. And the reason is, here the mock turtle yawned and shut his eyes. Tell her about the reason and all that, he said to the griffin. The reason is, the griffin said, that they would go with the lobsters to the dance. So they got thrown out to the sea. So they had to fall a long way. So they all got their tails fast in their mouths. So they couldn't get them out again. That's all. Thank you, said Alice. It's very interesting. 
I never knew so much about a whiting before. I can tell you more than that if you like, said the griffin. Do you know why it's called a whiting? I never thought about it, said Alice. Why? It does the boots and the shoes, the griffin replied solemnly. Alice was thoroughly puzzled. Does the boots and the shoes, she repeated in a wondering tone. Why, what are your shoes done with, said the griffin. I mean, what makes them so shiny? Alice looked down at them and considered a little before she gave her answer. They're done with blacking, I believe. Boots and shoes under the sea, said the griffin, went on in a deep voice, are done with whiting. Now you know. <clears throat> and what are they made of, Alice asked in a tone of great curiosity. Soles and eels, of course, the griffin replied rather impatiently. Any shrimp could have told you that. If I'd been the whiting, said Alice, whose thoughts were still running on the song, I'd have said to the porpoise, keep back, please. We don't want you with us. They were obligated to have him with them, said the mock turtle. No wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise. Wouldn't it really, said Alice in a tone of great surprise. Of course not, said the mock turtle. Why, if a fish came to me and told me he was going on a journey, I should say, with what porpoise? Don't you mean purpose, said Alice. I mean what I say, the mock turtle replied in an offended tone. And the griffin added, come, let's hear of your adventures. I could tell you of my adventures beginning from this morning, said Alice a little timidly. But it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. Explain all that, said the mock turtle. No, no, the adventure first, said the griffin in an impatient tone. Explanation takes such a dreadful time. So Alice began telling them of her adventures from the time when she first saw the white rabbit. She was so she was a little nervous about it just at first. The two character creatures got very close to her, one on each side, and opened their eyes and mouths so very wide. But she gained courage <clears throat> and went on. Her listeners were perfectly quiet till she got to the part about her repeating, You are old, Father William, to the caterpillar. And the words all coming different, and then the mock turtle drew a long breath and said, that's very curious. It's all as curious as it could be, said the griffin. It all came different, the mock turtle repeated thoughtfully. I should like to hear her try to repeat something now. Tell her to begin. He looked at the griffin as if he thought he had some kind of authority over Alice. Stand up and repeat. Tis the voice of the sluggard, said the griffin. How the creatures order one about and make one repeat lessons, thought Alice. I might just as well be at school at once. However, she got up and began to repeat it, but her head was so full of the lobster quadrille that she hardly knew what she was saying, and the words came very queer indeed. "'Tis the voice of the lobster, I heard him declare, you have baked me too brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with eyelids, so he is with his nose, trims his belt and his buttons, and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremendous sound. That's different from what I used to say when I was a child, said the griffin. Well, I never heard it before, said the mock turtle, but it sounds uncommon nonsense. Alice said nothing. She had sat down with her face in her hands, <clears throat> wondering if anything would ever happen in a natural way again. I should like to have it explained, said the mock turtle. She can't explain it, said the griffin hastily. Go on with the next verse. But about his toes, the mock turtle persisted. How could he turn them out with his nose, you know? It's the first position in dancing, Alice said, but she was dreadfully puzzled by the whole thing and longed to change the subject. Go on with the next verse, the griffin repeated. It begins, I passed by his garden. Alice did not disobey. 
though she felt sure it would all come wrong, and she went on in a trembling voice. I passed by his garden and marked with one eye how the oil uh, the owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat, while the oil the owl had the dish at its share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl, as a boon, was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon, while the panther received the knife and a fork with a growl and concluded the banquet by... What's the use of repeating all that stuff, the mock turtle interrupted, if you don't explain it as you go. It's by far the most confusing thing I ever heard. Yes, I think you'd better leave off, said the griffin, and Alice was only too glad to do so. Shall we try another figure of the lobster quadrille, the griffin went on, or would you like the mock turtle to sing you another song? Oh, a song, please, if the mock turtle would be so kind, Alice replied so eagerly that the griffin said in a rather offended tone, hmm. No accounting for taste. Sing your turtle soup. Will you, old fellow? The mock turtle sighed deeply and began in a voice choked with sobs to sing this. Beautiful soup, so rich and green, waiting in a hot tureen. Who would such dainties would not stoop? Soup for the evening, beautiful soup. Soup for the evening, beautiful soup. Beautiful soup, beautiful soup. Chorus again, cried the griffin, and the mock turtle had just begun to repeat it when the cry of, the trial's beginning, was heard in the distance. Come on, said the griffin, and taking Alice by the hand, it hurried off without waiting for the end of the song. What trial is it? Alice panted as she ran, but the griffin only answered, come on, and ran the faster, while more and more faintly came, carried on in the breeze, and followed them the melancholy words. Soup of the evening, beautiful soup. Chapter 11. Who Stole the Tarts? The King and Queen of Hearts were seated on their throne when they arrived with a great crowd assembled about them, all sorts of little birds and beasts, as well as a whole pack of cards. The knave was standing before them in chains which, with a soldier on each side to guard him, and the near king, and near the king was the white rabbit with a trumpet in one hand and a scroll of parchment in the other. In the very middle of the court was a table with a large dish of tarts upon it. They looked so good that it made Alice quite hungry to look at them. I wish they'd get the trial done, she thought, and hand round the refreshments. But there seemed to be no chance of this. So she began looking at everything about her to pass away the time. Alice had never been in a court of justice before, but she had read about them in books, and she was quite pleased to find out that she knew the name of nearly everything there. That's the judge, said to herself, because of his great wig. The judge, by the way, was the king, and as he wore his crown over the wig, look at the front piece if you want to know how he did it, he did not look at all comfortable, and it was certainly not becoming. And that's the jury box, thought Alice, and those 12 creatures, she was obliged to say creatures, you see, because some of them were animals and some were birds. I suppose they are the jurors, she said this last word or two three times over to herself being rather proud of it, for she thought, and rightly too, that very few little girls of her age would know the meaning of it all. However, jurymen would have done just as well. <clears throat> the 12 jurors were all writing very busily on slates. What are they doing, whispered Alice to the griffin. They can't have anything to put down yet before the trial's begun. They're putting down their names, the griffin whispered in reply, for fear that they should forget them before the end of the trial. Stupid things. Alice began in a loud, indignant voice, but she stopped herself hastily, for the white rabbit cried out, Silence in the court! And the king put out his spectacles and looked anxiously around to make out who was talking. Alice could see 
as well as if she were looking over their shoulders, that all the jurors were writing down stupid things on their slates. And she could even make out that one of them didn't know how to spell stupid and that he had asked his neighbor to tell him a nice muddle they'll slate their slates will be in before the trial's over, thought Alice. One of the jurors had a pencil that squeaked. This, of course, Alice could not stand, and she went round the court and got behind him and very soon found an opportunity of taking it away. She did it so quickly that the poor little juror, it was Bill the Lizard, could not make out what it all had become of it. So after hunting about for it, he was obliged to write with one finger for the rest of the day. And this was of very little use, as it had no left mark on the slate. Harold, read the accusation, said the king. On this, the white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet and then unrolled the parchment scroll and read as follows. The queen of hearts, she made some tarts on a summer day. The knave of hearts, he stole those tarts and took them quite away. Consider your verdict, the king said to the jury. Not yet, not yet, the rabbit interrupted. There's a great deal to come before that. Call the first witness, said the king, and the white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet. He called out, first witness. The first witness was the hatter. He came in with a teacup in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. I beg pardon, your majesty, he went, for bringing these in, but I quite hadn't finished my tea when I was sent for. You ought to have finished, said the king. When did you begin? The hatter looked at the March Hare who had followed him into the court arm in arm with the dormouse. Fourteenth of March, I think it was, he said. Fifteenth, said the March Hare. Sixteenth, said the dormouse. Write that down the king said to the jury and the jury eagerly wrote down all three dates on their slates and then added them up and then reduced the answer to shillings and pence. Take off your hat, the king said to the hatter. It isn't mine, said the hatter. Stolen, the king exclaimed, turning to the jury who instantly made a memorandum of the fact. I keep them to sell, the hatter added as an explanation. I've none of my own. I'm a hatter. Here, the queen put on her spectacles and began staring hard at the hatter who turned pale and fidgeted. Give your evidence, said the king, and don't be nervous or I'll have you executed on the spot. This did not seem to encourage the witness at all. He kept shifting from one foot to the other, looking uneasily at the queen. And in his confusion, he bit a large piece out of his teacup instead of the bread and butter. Just at this moment, Alice felt a curious sensation, which puzzled her a good deal until she made out what it was. She was beginning to grow larger again, and she thought at first she would get up and leave the court, but on second thoughts, she had decided to remain where she was as long as she could, as long as there was room for her. I wish you wouldn't squeeze so, said the dormouse who was sitting next to her. I can hardly breathe. I can't help it, said Alice very meekly. I'm growing. You have no right to grow here, said the dormouse. Don't talk nonsense, said Alice more boldly. You know you're You're growing too. Yes, but I grow at a reasonable pace, said the dormouse. Not in that ridiculous fashion. And they got up very sulkily and crossed over to the other side of the court. At this time, the queen had never left off staring at the hatter. And just as the dormouse crossed the court, she said to one of the officers of the court, bring me the list of the singers in the last concert on which she wretched the the hatter trembled so on which the wretched hatter trembled so that he shook off both his shoes. Give your evidence, the king repeated angrily, or I'll have you executed, whether you're nervous or not. I'm a poor man, your majesty, the hatter began in a trembling voice, and I hadn't begun my tea, not above a week or so, with what the bread and butter getting so thin and the twinkling of the tea. The twinkling of what, said the king, 
It began with the T, the Hatter replied. Of course, twinkling begins with the T. So, said the king sharply, do you take me for a dunce? Go on. I'm a poor man, the Hatter went on, and most things twinkled after that. Only the March Hare said, I didn't, the March Hare interrupted in a great hurry. You did, said the Hatter. I deny it, said the March Hare. He denies it, said the king. Leave out that part. Well, at any rate, the Dormouse said, the Hatter went on looking anxiously around to see if he would deny it too, but the Dormouse denied nothing being fast asleep. After that, continued the Hatter, I cut some more bread and butter. But what did the Dormouse say? One of the jurors asked. That I can't remember, said the Hatter. You must remember, remarked the king, or I'll have you executed. The miserable Hatter dropped his teacup and bread and butter and went down on one knee. I'm a poor man, your majesty, he began. You're a very poor speaker, said the king. Here, one of the guinea pigs cheered and was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court. And that is rather a hard word. I would just explain to you to know how it was done. They had a large canvas bag, which was tied up at one mouth with strings. Into this, they slipped the guinea pig head first and then sat upon it. I'm glad I've seen that done, thought Alice. I've often read... In the newspapers, at the end of trials, there was some attempted applause, which was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court, and I never understood what it meant till now. If that's all you know about it, you may stand down, continued the king. I can't go no lower, said the hatter. I'm on the floor as it is. Then you may sit down, the king replied. Here the other guinea pig cheered and was suppressed. Come on, that finishes the guinea pigs, thought Alice. Now we shall get on better. I'd rather finish my tea, said the hatter with an anxious look at the queen who was reading the list of singers. You may go, said the king, and the hatter hurriedly left the court without even waiting to put his shoes on. And just take his head off outside, the queen added to one of the officers. But the hatter was out of sight before the officer could get to the door. Call the next witness, said the king. The next witness was the duchess's cook. She carried the pepper box in her hand, and Alice guessed who it was even before she got into the court. By the way, the people near the door began sneezing all the once. Give your evidence, said the king. Shan't, said the cook. The king looked anxiously at the white rabbit, who said in a low voice, Your majesty must cross-examine this witness. Well, if I must, I must, the king said with a melancholy air, and after folding his arms and frowning at the cook until his eyes were nearly out of sight, he said in a deep voice, What are tarts made of? Pepper, mostly, said the cook. Treckle, said a sleepy voice behind her. Call her that dormouse, the queen shrieked out. Behead that dormouse, turn that dormouse out of court, suppress him, pinch him, off with his whiskers. For some minutes, the whole court was in confusion, getting the dormouse turned out, and by the time they had settled down again, the cook disappeared. Never mind, said the king with an air of great relief. Call the next witness, and he added in an undertone to the queen. Really, my dear, you must cross-examine the next witness. It quite makes my forehead ache. Alice watched the white rabbit as he fumbled over the list, feeling very curious to see what the next witness would be like. For they haven't got much evidence yet, she said to herself. Imagine her surprise when the white rabbit read out at the top of his shrill little voice the name Alice. Chapter 12, Alice's Evidence. Here, cried Alice, quite forgetting in the flurry of the moment how large she'd grown in the past few minutes, and she jumped up in such a hurry that she tipped over the jury box with the edge of her skirt, upsetting all the jurymen on the heads of the crown below, and there they lay sprawling about, reminding her very much of a globe of goldfish she'd accidentally upset the week before. 
Oh, I beg your pardon, she exclaimed in a tone of great dismay and began picking them up as quickly as she could, for the accident of the goldfish kept running in her head, and she had a vague sort of idea that they must be collected at once and be put back into the jury box or they would die. The trial cannot proceed, said the king in a very grave voice, until all the jurymen are back in their proper places. All, he repeated with great emphasis, looking hard at Alice as he said so. Alice looked at the jury box and saw that in her haste, she had put the lizard in head downwards and the poor little thing was waving its tail about in a melancholy way, being quite unable to move. She soon got it out again and put it right. Not that it signifies much, she said to herself. I think that it would be quite as much use in the trial as one way up or the other. As soon as the jury had a little had recovered a little from the shock of being upset and their slates and pencils had been found and handed back to them. They set to work very diligently to write out a history of the accident, all except Lizard, who seemed too much overcome to do anything but sit with its mouth open, gazing up into the roof in the court. What do you know about this business? The king said to Alice. Nothing, said Alice. Nothing whatever, persisted the king. Nothing whatever, said Alice. That's very important, said the king, turning to the jury. They were just beginning to write this down on their slates when the white rabbit interrupted. Unimportant, your majesty means, of course, he said in a respectful tone, but frowning and making faces at him as he spoke. Unimportant, of course, I meant, the king hastily said, and went on to himself in an undertone. Important, unimportant, important, unimportant, as if he were trying to find out which word sounded best. Some of the jury wrote it down, important, and some wrote unimportant. Alice could see this as she was near enough to look over their slates. But it doesn't matter a bit, she thought to herself. At this moment, the king, who had been for some time busily writing in his notebook, called out, silence, and read out from his book, rule 42, all persons more than a mile high to leave the court. Everybody looked at Alice. I'm not a mile high, said Alice. You are, said the king. Nearly two miles high, said the queen. Well, I shan't go at any rate, said Alice. Besides, that's not a regular rule. You just invented it now. It's the oldest rule in the book, said the king. Then it ought to be number one. Or then it ought to be number one, said Alice. The king turned pale and shut his notebook hastily. Consider your verdict, he said to the jury in a low, trembling voice. There's more evidence to come yet. Please, your majesty, the white rabbit said, jumping up in a hurry. This paper has just been picked up. What's in it, said the queen. I haven't opened it yet, said the white rabbit, but it seems to be a letter written by the prisoner to somebody. It must have been that, said the king, unless it was written to nobody, which isn't usual, you know. Who is it directed to, said one of the jurymen. It isn't directed at all, said the white rabbit. In fact, there's nothing written on the outside. He unfolded the paper as he spoke and added, it isn't a letter after all, it's a set of verses. Are they in the prisoner's handwriting, asked another of the jurymen. No, they're not, said the white rabbit. And that's the queerest thing about it. The jury all looked puzzled. He must have imitated somebody else's hand, said the king. The jury all brightened up again. Please, your majesty, said the knave. I didn't write it, and they can't prove that I did. And there's no name signed at the end. If you didn't sign it, said the king, that only makes the matter worse. You must have meant some mischief, or else you'd sign your name like an honest man. There was a general clapping of hands at this. It really was the first clever thing the king had said all day. That proves his guilt, of course, said the queen. So off with, it doesn't prove anything of the sort, said Alice. Why don't you even know what they're about? Read them, said the king. The white rabbit put on his spectacles. Where shall I begin, please, your majesty, he asked. 
Begin at the beginning, the king said very gravely, and go on till you come to the end, then stop. There was dead silence in the court whilst the rabbit read out the verses. They told me you had been to her and mentioned me to him. She gave me a good character, but I said, but said I could not swim. He sent the word that I had gone. We know it to be true. If she should push the matter on, what would become of you? I gave her one, they gave her two, you gave us three and more. They all returned from him to you, though they were mine before. If I or she should chance to be involved in this affair, he trusts you to set them free exactly as they were. My notion was that you had been, before she had this fit, an obstacle that came between him and ourselves and it. Don't let him know that she liked them best, for this must never be, a secret kept from all the rest between yourself and me. That's the most important piece of evidence we have heard yet, said the king, rubbing his hands. So now let the jury, if any one of them can explain it, said Alice. She'd grown so large in the last few minutes that she wasn't a bit afraid of interrupting him. I'll give him a sixpence. I don't believe there's an atom of meaning in it. The jury all wrote down on their slates. She doesn't believe there's an atom of meaning in it, but none of them attempted to explain the paper. If there's no meaning in it, said the king, that saves a world of trouble, you know, as we don't need to find any. And yet, I don't know, he went on spreading the verses on his knees and looking at them with one eye. I seem to see meaning in some of them after all. I said I could not swim. You can't swim, can you? He added, turning to the knave. The knave shook his head sadly. Do I look like it? He said, which he certainly did not, being made entirely of cardboard. All right, so far, said the king, and he went on muttering over the verses to himself. We know it to be true. That's the jury, of course. If she should push the matter on, that must be the queen. What would become of you? What indeed? I gave her one, they gave him two. Why, that must be what he did with the tarts, you know. But it goes on, they all returned from him to you, said Alice. Why, there, why there they are, said the king triumphantly, pointing to the tarts on the table. Nothing can be clearer than that. Then again, before she had this fit, you never had fits, my dear, I think, she said to the queen. He said to the queen, never, said the queen, furiously throwing an inkstand at the lizard as he spoke. The unfortunate little Bill had left off writing on his slate with one finger as he found it made no mark, but now hastily began again using the ink that was trickling down his face as long as it lasted. Then the words don't fit you, said the king, looking round the court with a smile. There was a dead silence. It's a pun, the king added in an angry tone, and everybody laughed. Let the jury consider their verdict, said the king for about the 20th time that day. No, no, said the queen. Sentence first, verdict afterwards. Stuff and nonsense, said Alice loudly, the idea of having a sentence first. Hold your tongue, said the queen, turning purple. I won't, said Alice. Off with her head, the queen shouted at the top of her voice. Nobody moved. Who cares for you, said Alice, as she had grown her full size by this time. You're nothing but a pack of cards. At this time, the whole pack rose up into the air and came flying down upon her. She gave a little scream, half of a fright out of anger, and tried to beat them off, and found herself lying on the bank with her head in the lap of her sister, who was gently brushing away some dead leaves that had fluttered down from the trees upon her face. Wake up, Alice, dear, said her sister. Why, what a long sleep you've had. Oh, I had such a curious dream, said Alice, as she told her sister, as well as she could remember them, all the strange adventures of hers that you have just been reading about, and... When she had finished, her sister kissed her and said, It was a curious dream, dear, certainly, but now run into your tea, it's getting late. 
So Alice got up and ran off thinking while she ran as well as she might, what a wonderful dream it had been. But her sister sat still just as she left, leaning her head on her hand, watching the setting sun and thinking of Alice in all of her wonderful adventures till she too began dreaming after a fashion. And this was her dream. First, she dreamed about little Alice herself once again, and the tiny hands were clasped upon her knee and the bright, eager eyes were looking up into hers. She could hear the very tones of her voice and see the queer little toss of her head and keep back wandering hair that would always get into her eyes. And still she listened or seemed to listen. The whole place around her became alive with the strangest creatures of her little sister's dreams. The long grass rustled at her feet as the white rabbit hurried by. The frightened mouse splashed his way through the neighboring pool. She could hear the rattle of the teacups as the March Hare and his friends shared their never-ending meal and the shrill voice of the queen ordering off her unfortunate guests to execution. One, one more, the pig baby was sneezing on the duchess's knees while the plates and the dishes crashed around it. Once more, the shriek of the griffin, the squeaking of the lizard's slate pencil, and the choking of the suppressed guinea pigs filled the air mixed up with the distant sob of the miserable mock turtle. So she sat on with closed eyes and half believed herself in Wonderland, though she knew she had to open them again and it would all change to dull reality. The grass would only be rustling in the wind and the pool ripping the waves of the reeds. The rattling teacups would change to tinkling sheep bells and the queen's shrill cries to the voice of the shepherd boy and the sneeze of the baby, the shriek of the griffin and all of the other queer stories would change. She knew to the confused clamor of the busy farmyard while the lowering of the cattle in the distance would take the place of the mock turtle's heavy sobs. Lastly, she pictured herself how the same little sister of hers would in the time in the aftertime, be herself a grown woman and how she would keep through her riper years the simple and loving heart of her childhood and how she would gather about her only little children and make their eyes bright and eager with many a strange tale, perhaps even with the dream of Wonderland long ago and how she would feel all of their simple, feel all, feel all of their simple sorrows and find a place in all of their simple joys, remembering her own child life and the happy summer days. The end.